Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the spirit that you have placed within us that seals us in Christ. That we take great confidence in the fact that you are working in us and that we do not work merely by ourselves. But that we work because you're working in us to make us into the image of Christ. Part of that is the study of your word. The central part of that is the study of your word and what your word does to us as we think through what you've written and what you're calling us to through the scriptures. We pray that you give us wisdom and discernment as we talk about this next passage in Exodus, the response to the law. I pray that you move us to love Christ more and hate our sin. You move us to love his church and the people that you are gathering together as a body to reflect Christ. I pray that we do that better by your spirit. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Exodus 20, 18 through 21. We've just finished the Ten Commandments. We did it in rapid time. So at the end of the, they're at the, uh, the foot of the mountain, right? That's where they were when they received the Ten Commandments. Remember? Position of the Israelites. God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself not in a picture or a statue, but in words. Ten words that set not just the standard of how this new covenant community is to live, but which are essentially ten testimonies of his nature, who he is. The God they did not know, now they know, in part, through the speaking of these ten testimonies. And he's speaking to them from this mountain. And I, I took some time earlier this week to try to distill what we've discussed in the Ten Commandments, and I came up with ten, ten statements. And the first commandment is, uh, you shall have no other God before me, right? And I... And I kind of distill that down to, I am the only God, forget about there being anything else like me. Uh, The second commandment, don't even try to play that I'm the God of your imagination. Third commandment, don't make my name into something worthless through your words or actions. Fourth commandment, set aside this day to remember that I am your rest and rest every day. Fifth commandment, respect the history and truth I have given to those who have come before you. Sixth commandment, treat a sacred human life because it is my image. Seventh commandment, treat as sacred the gift of your sexuality. It is a picture of something much greater than you. Eighth commandment, treat as sacred the stewardship of your neighbor's goods because all of the earth is mine. Ninth commandment, treat as sacred the spoken truth because I am the essence of truth. And then the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. From the heart, you can't do this. So here they are, the 10 words, the 10 testimonies of the nature of God. What would you expect the response of the Israelites to be after this declaration? What would you expect it to be? That's impossible. Turn to Exodus 20, if you haven't already. 
verse 18, immediately after the ten words are given, what does it say? Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What's their response? They're afraid. afraid. Hadn't they said um, pretty confidently before, Exodus uh, 19.8, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Remember that? Before it was spoken, spoken, they're in. (laughs) All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And he speaks. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, all this was going on, and they respond. They respond in three ways, didn't they? What does it say? It's the first way they respond. It's gone. What's the first way they respond? They were afraid. What we, what we see here is a picture of what's going on internally in them. Why? Why are they afraid? I mean, granted, thunder and lightning can be a little intimidating. A smoking mountain can set you off a little bit. Why are they afraid? Is that, is that really what's going on? Was it merely this trumpet sound and the, and the smoking mountain? Is that, is that why they're afraid? I think, that, I think it's like what Chelsea said, that they can't, they can't do these. They know they're impossible commands. And if you think about it, what God had promised to Abraham was uh, land and you know, this great nation, and you're going to take over, and he led them out of Egypt, and, and they were all going to the promised land, and it was all good blessings, and so they were probably, when they originally said, you know, whatever the Lord speaks, we'll do, they were probably thinking, oh, well, God's going to give us all this wonderful stuff. All we have to do is what he tells us the steps to get to this, you know, prosperity. Right. But then when God finally does speak, it's all condemning. Give me the ten steps to get to the promised land in my new house. Right. What do you mean, don't covet? Right? Um, why would they fear the God who had delivered them? Because they're really aware of their own sinfulness before this righteous God. Okay. They can't do it. They're, they're in front of a holy God. They know that. Um, not only is he holy, other, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other, um, and can manifest these signs of his presence, the, 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 the trumpet, the smoke, the darkness, the thunder and the lightning. He's wholly other in his very nature. He ain't like me. He doesn't covet. Not like I do. He doesn't uh, murder. 
he uh, doesn't have any gods before him. That's why I think God is okay and that he's jealous for himself and his own honor because he doesn't have any other gods before him. Um, he's wholly other in his very nature, and I've just been revealed as being completely opposite to his nature to the core. Woe is me, I am undone. And they're afraid. What's the second response? Okay, right before that, what does it say? Trembling. Now, fear is internal. Trembling is external. Uh, my daughter, Audrey, had her first cavity. And we went to the dentist to have that thing filled. And before she got there, everybody told her their worst possible cavity stories. <laughs> the poor thing was, she was afeared. And we went into the dentist's office, and they let me go in the back, and the thing on our went back there with her, and we, we, we got bleacher seats, you know, we were all excited. And, and the dentist left in there, so it was, it was cool. Um, and so before the dentist came in, I don't know what picture she had in her mind of what the guy was supposed to look like. Fangs, claws, some kind of weird Transylvanian accent. I don't know what she thought was going on. But she was in the chair, and then, of course, they put you in the lay-down position, which is you're completely helpless like this under the light, and there's nothing you can do. You can't do this, you know. So she's sitting there waiting, and I'm watching her, and she's trembling. She starts crying a little bit. She's a tough kid. She tries to hold it back, but she's, she's trembling. What was going on inside responds physically. And she responded physically to trembling. She was actually shaking. And, of course, you know, I go over there and I do the fatherly thing. Are you ready for this? <laughs> no, I, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. We, we prayed together and she calmed down. But uh, I have a black heart. I do. It really is a black heart. So, um, but that's trembling. It's a response. It's a physical, I didn't do it really, Jenny. I was just kidding. She's thinking, like, you horrible man. Um, so so there, there is an outward expression of what's going on inside. They tremble. The word here means literally, literally, to totter, reel, or stagger. They're swooning. They're, they're, they're doing one of these kind of deals. His appearance and the words he spoke shake them to the very core of their physical being. Did, did you shake any before your test? Um, yes. yes? I had a nice cup of coffee. That was it. <laughs> I sat down for a three-hour test. You, you had just had coffee for breakfast and sat down for a three-hour test. That's a mentally taxing test. You passed it, but I would think that the uncertainty of what you're going to face causes you fear, Right? And it causes, uh, plus the blood sugar, I'm sure, happened there too. Uh, we don't know if the Israelites had eaten before they got the ten words. But, um, but in both these, in Audrey's and Ty's situations, they both came out fine. There is only one certain outcome for the Israelites if they take up the challenge of obeying the law. What is it? They lose. They can't do it. That's a cause for trembling, don't you think? They tremble rightly. Or do they? 
What's the third thing? You mentioned it already, Jeffrey. What, what was it? Distance. Distance. They stood far off. Where had they been located before the ten words were given? What does it say in 1917? What does it tell us? The foot of the mountain? Read it. What does it say? 1970. At the foot of the mountain. Where are they now? What does it say? A far off. How, how, how did they get there? I don't think it takes a long time for 10 words to be delivered. And you're at the foot of the mountain, and in the verse immediately after the Ten Commandments, you're afar off. How do you get from here to there? Back then, they didn't have cars today, they had chariots. Uh, do you think that was a, um, a stroll to get afar off? Just a light hop? I imagine, like, as it progresses, they're like taking steps back. <laughs> I'm thinking they're running. Because the word here, far off, means great distance. Great distance. They see this. They hear the voice. They book it. They're far off. They realized their guilt and unholiness before the awesome God, and they knew they deserved his judgment and condemnation, and they run. We'd never do that, right? We'd never flee Christ when we sin. That's crazy talk. They run. It's interesting, too, that before, before the Ten Commandments, they had to set up limits. They had to basically mm-hmm. set up a patrol to keep them from coming too close. That yeah, because he said, don't even come up the mountain. Anybody that touches the mountain will die. All that the Lord has said, we will do. He starts talking. That's not an issue anymore. They run. They flee. You know why? I think because they had made for themselves a God in their imagination. And they thought that God was someone that he's not. Mm. Get this visual. Well, think of it too. Yes, the God of their imagination is at work there. They're thinking, hey, he brought us out. He's fed us. He's, you know, he's my homeboy. homeboy. (laughs) Somebody was printing the T-shirt back in the tent. And then you have, and it's Lifeway Israelite, you know. So, um, I say that out loud. Anyway, so you have this, this realization of who he is. And I have this visual in my head. It's the only place I can have it. Um, that they're far away, yelling back at Moses, you speak to us. Right? The next verse. Isn't that what he's, you, don't let God speak to us. They're running away from the presence of God. They're run, trying to get as far away. Now, how silly is that? If he's creator, which he is, and he's revealed himself as holy and judge and accuser, and, and a few miles is going to... We're good now. 
Well, well, yeah, I guess they could have the rocks to fall on, but that's more of a revelation kind of thing. They haven't got there yet. Um, they're begging, they're pleading that God would no longer speak to them. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. You speak highlights their cry for Moses to speak to them, highlights the need we have for a covenant mediator, one who stands between God and the people. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. How odd that a mere voice would terrify them so much. Lest we die. How dramatic. Oh, Claudius, I am Viclint. It's dramatic. Lest we die. Why would they say that? Scary. It's too much. Everything is in front of them at once. Their unholiness, his holiness, their certain condemnation, his ability to do it. It's right there. What does Moses say in verse 20? What's his response? Do not fear. Do not fear. What's the basis for the fear? I think, Ty, you hit on it earlier. What's the basis for the fear? So that you may not sin. But why are they fearing in the first place? Because they don't know him. Think about that. He's just delivered them from Egypt. From slavery. Centuries of slavery. He saved them from certain death at the Red Sea. Drowned all their enemies. Fed them. Watered them. (laughs) Saved them from the aggressive actions of another nation in battle. And now they're running from him. They don't know him. How could they not know him? Hasn't every action he's done to them been for their good, for their preservation? Everything he's done has been to protect and and, and to cultivate them into a new nation. They don't know him. What do we call that? I don't trust the nature of God that I've seen. What is that? Unbelief? Disbelief? There it is, right? There's the old argument. What is sin? Is it at its core unbelief or is it at its core pride? Yes. It is. The basis for the fear is unbelief. They believed that God was going to destroy them at the mountain. He should have, could have. But has he given any indication that that's his plan at all? Yeah, because up to this point, he's been giving them like, things that, are, that someone would naturally want, like food, water, that kind of stuff. Mm. Sure. Yeah. But here he's in thick darkness. Yeah. That's a cloud, so they could. What? What is it? What? And 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 why would he do that? What? We'll we'll read later. We'll read later that when Moses comes back after visiting with God in the cloud in this dark on the mountain, 
his face is shining with God's glory. So bright, the people are freaked out. And he has to cover himself with a veil. God's glory is such that it would consume, our God is consuming fire. Right? And so his glory is such that he covers that to protect them. Yes, that, that's it. That's in the appendix of the Bible, I think. But yes, that's right. It's a good, that's a good, uh, cult, yeah, that's a good, that's a good line. Um, they don't trust him. They don't know his nature. And what does Moses say? For God has come to test you. You see how Moses steps into the role as covenant mediator. And as his role of covenant, in his role as covenant mediator, what does he do? He points them directly to the nature of God. He's come to test you, not destroy you, his implication, that you fear. He's come to test you, a right understanding of the nature of God. Further, Moses points them toward the purpose of God's revelation to them. He uses the, the for or so that or in order to. We see that in different translations. First, it's two things he does. First, to test them. Would they be obedient to his law and the demands of his nature? They had committed themselves to the covenant. All the Lord has said we will do. How are they going to respond to the specific laws of the covenant? And then the second thing, that the fear of him may be before you, to test you that the fear of him may be before you. They're going to fear God. What do we mean by fear here? What does it mean? Because if it's just these negative gooseys, then mission accomplished. They're running. That's an overachieving moment for God and the fear thing. What does fear mean? Is that what he's, is that what he's after? Yeah. Respect and reverence. Reverence that leads to what? Obedience. Obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, right? But fools despise wisdom and instruction, it goes on to say. We run from it. We run from it. The fear here is a reverence that leads to obedience. It's a long-term goal. The result of true fear of God is the restraining of sin. It's the restraint of sin. That's the true fear of God. It's weird how it says that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So when we don't fear him, we, 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 again, don't trust in the, the nature of God when we sin. Because if we knew his nature, if we trusted who he is and who he's revealed himself to be, we would run from the sin and to God, to Christ. So, in spite of all these assurances by Moses, where are the people? Oh, okay, well, let's go back to the mountain. Right? Start trekking. Set up the boundaries. Here we go. What do they do? They stayed away. They, they stayed stood away. Far off. They stood far off. That's where we typically go, isn't it? We're confronted with our sin. We're confronted with what we've done. And rather than trust the sufficiency of Christ, or rather than love him over loving our sin, we stay there. We keep going back to it, far off. 
We withdraw from his presence. We withdraw from his speech. Don't let God speak to me. We withdraw from his mediator and eventually his people. I don't need church. I've got a Bible. You read it? Under that tree in the middle of the woods? We withdraw. We get far off and claim that it's more spiritual to do so. How deceptive is that? What's the other response here? The people stood far off. What does Moses do? While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So apparently the law doesn't apply to Moses because he didn't really, didn't bother him. Right? Don't you think he felt a little bit of that internal struggle? Hmm, this is a little much. I'm the closest, (laughs) you know. Don't you think he felt some of that? Isn't he a man also undone? Isn't he a man also like us under Adam in sin? I mean, there's nothing special about him. But what does he do? What's his response? He draws near. He goes where the mercy is. This is your standard. I can't meet it, but I'm going to where you are. Moses moves toward the presence of God. If I'm undone, I'm undone. I want to be where you are. I love you more than my own life. Do you see that? Next week we'll see what God says to Moses on the mountain. But I want to look quickly at the picture of the true mediator that Moses brings out, or that the scripture brings out with using Moses here as as a covenant mediator. John 3.16 is probably the most often quoted verse. Well, it used to be. Now, in these days, it's judge not lest you be judged. But um, generally, John 3.16 is thought to be the most quoted verse. John 3.17 and 18, look at this. For God did not send his son into the world. This is in red. It's uh, Jesus speaking, so it's really inspired. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, so that, for the purpose of, the world might be saved through him. Okay? What does verse 18 say? Whoever believes in him, the son, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What's going on there? The law affects all of us. We all stand condemned. Whether we tremble or not, we all stand condemned. But God has sent Christ into the world not to condemn the world. It's already condemned. But to save it can't do this. You can't do it. You need someone to act on your behalf. I need a savior. I need someone who lived the life I should have did, uh, should have lived, who lived all of the 10 commandments, who truly reflected the nature of God as he lived out his life and then paid my fine for me. The true mediator does what Moses could never do 
even though Christ gives verbal assurances like Moses did, trust your father. He's, he's good. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He doesn't stop with the verbal assurances, but takes on himself the basis for the fear and trembling. He takes on himself the judgment for sin. You feel the judgment? You feel the condemnation? You feel the weight of it? I'm taking it on myself. and I'm giving you the gift of my righteousness, my right standing with God, my holiness before the holy God. Sin is unbelief in the nature of God. A distrust that he is who he says he is. So stand at the cross, look there, and fear rightly. Reverence that leads to obedience. Reverence for Christ leads to obedience. More than reverence, Christ says, if we love him, we do what he commands. Not in order to earn love, but as an expression of the love that he's shown us. He changes the heart. The heart wants to please and reflect him. If we love him, we do what he commands. We don't run from him. We run to him. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. We'll, we'll finish there. The author of Hebrews talking to believers in the New Testament. And by extension, you, if you're in Christ. Verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words... Notice he says whose words and not just the sound of it. Whose very words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He wasn't alone. They all did. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why is it a better word than the blood of Abel? Why would he say it like that? Abel was killed. He worshipped God rightly. Okay. He's just a man. So even though he might have died rightly because it says that his, his deeds were righteous, mm-hmm. but uh, he's just a man. Okay. And, and he's a son of Adam. I mean, in the most direct sense, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> he's still under the curse. Um, yeah. Just read my notes here. That's, all right. That's okay. So, Study Bibles. Hey, 
Yes, and they're not referencing them. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, go ahead. It says that the, the blood of Abel was uh, for revenge, like Cain was mm. mad, so he, but uh, the blood of Christ was for forgiveness and atonement. Okay. Yes. Does it does it show to us the the stark contrast between the two covenants? In the law, God lays down his standard. And it's a standard not of arbitrary rules, but it's a standard reflecting who he is, his very nature. We're created to reflect who he is his very nature, and it's been marred. It's been broken in the fall. Adam and Eve sinned. What was meant to be very good became very bad. How horrible that the creature designed and created to reflect the creator most accurately should become that which reflects him most poorly or not at all. And instead of destroying them like he did a third of the angels that fell before he created man, he redeems them. He saves them by means of sending himself. God substitutes himself for the creature that violated his law. So the new covenant is one that If any expression of who God is should draw us to him, it should be that. What is it in us that keeps us running away? What is it in us that when we sin, we want to be apart and away from reading, prayer, study the scripture? Prideful unbelief. That's a way to combine. Thank you, Craig. Yeah, and it's a. There's a degree of shame. It, yeah. There is. Like Adam and Eve did. Sure. God. Yeah. With fig leaves, go you, figure. Yeah, even though you know that's what you need to do. You'll never find me here. And what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Anyway, yes, you know you'll never. You'll know you'll, you'll never. Well, well, sin is irrational. Right. You've said that many times. Sin yes, is I've lived it. To, to, keep, to keep sinning and know you're sinning and know what you need to do. Right. Know where the cure is. Right. Know where healing is mm-hmm. and to still refuse and refuse and refuse. I want to have control here. I want to be God here. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you've revealed about yourself and what you've done for me. Let me have control here. I'm God here. I have a God before you here. And we want to cling to that and stay with that and love that, and worship that, and this is mine, this is mine, yay, yay, yay. And the whole time, it's condemning us. It's oppressive to us. And even in Christ, it's pushing us further away. 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 You know, 
we're running to something else than Christ. And it's unbelief that uh, God is forgiving and that our salvation is based on Christ and not our own works. Right. I think when we mess up, like, okay, I've got to do better. Yeah, I can fix this now. On Tuesday. Here's a plug. Um, it, it talks about not just hearing the word and not just believing the word, mm-hmm. but calling on the Lord. Mm-hmm. It talks about it, it's a there's 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 a response mm-hmm. to call on the Lord and not just have it all be. And what does that show? This calling on the Lord. It's it should be based on knowledge, but it's a it's a, a cry of dependence. I yeah. think. And isn't that where we get messed up? I don't want to, I'm an American. I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't want to depend on anybody for my, my goodness. I can, you know, entrepreneurially be holy. That's how we're built. That's how we are. That's, that's the nature of our rebellious heart is to constantly want to be in control and to be God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. The Spirit comes in and moves us. But for His grace. But for His moving. Even the Christian. But for His ex- a, a, a renewal and excitement of the faith and the trust in who He is, we stay there and we run. We stay in our sin and we run. But He doesn't leave us there if we're in Christ. Tonight, um, we're continuing a series on uh, the gospel. The elders have done this kind of series. We do this every other month. We do this Sunday night thing. And um, we, we've gone through what is it, how to talk about it, and tonight we're going to talk about how the gospel changes you, me, individually, and how it changes us as a community. That's what we're talking about tonight. I encourage you to be there. Um, we, we, we start at 6. Okay. Yes, I am. <laughs> but that's not the reason to come. Um, or, not. Or, or not to come. <laughs> Thank you, Tammy. <laughs> My help meet. Thank you. Or not to come. It's not an excuse not to come because Kevin's teaching. All right. At least that's what you've been telling. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, any any other comments on that? I just did a monologue, and I don't like doing that too often. So what what any other comments? It's a, it's a consistent pattern. It's a consistent pattern. We, we, did God really say? And then we run. Talking about all this because, I mean, they just get the law and they know they can't fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know about the, second, the new covenant. To right. They, they, don't, they never know. So they're just there and it's helpless. How are they going to pass? How are they going to deal with their sin before the cross? And, then, and that's what we go from this point to the end of Exodus, Leviticus, and part of Numbers. He's got to do the work. 
He's got to reach in and change the heart, change the speech to pure speech. That's an act of, a creative act of God. Paul says in Corinthians, um, he who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's a creative act that we want to run to Christ at all, that we, that we fear him at all, is a creative act. All right. Any, any other comments? To, to give us the new birth, to, to, um, to um, cause us to be a new creation, to bring us from death to life. Those are the three different analogies that the New Testament uses to discuss what you, regeneration. Um, he has to substitute himself for us. Yep. Any, any other comments? Yes, sir, Clint, were you on the front row this whole time doing this thing? Sorry. I think, you know, where it says Moses drawing to the darkness, mm-hmm. we, we see we see that he's in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Hebrews 11, talked about he um, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though he never saw the promised land, right. um, we see that that he believed, mm-hmm. it, it points to the, kind of the bigger picture of sure. redemptive history of the world. So right. Kind of, even, even though it was not, and Hebrews talks about this, that, that uh, you haven't come to what may be touched, right? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Even now that is, that is happening. Um, yeah. And yet he, even Moses says in Hebrews that he said, I tremble with fear. Even though he believed, even though he trusted God, it was enough to make him um, physically tremble. But it was reverence toward obedience, moving him toward, toward God. Good. Anyone else? Okay. The mind cannot absorb what the behind can no longer endure, so we will go ahead and pray. Move on. Father, we do thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. We do thank you that you have manifested yourself not only in holiness and judgment, but also in mercy, love, and grace. And that at the cross we see an expression of yourself that is the full-orbed view of the nature of God. You are holy, and yet you are full of grace and truth. And that at the cross, you accomplish the impossible. That you, the righteous judge, would still render right judgment and yet justify the ungodly, that you would show mercy 
to the ungodly, to sinners like us. How could we not be drawn to Christ? And yet, again and again, we run from him for our little piece of supposed control. Give us a greater affection than the sin that we love. Give us a zeal and a love and a passion for the glory of Jesus above all else. Cause us to repent of our sin and cause us to trust you more. We thank you for your spirit that does these things in us. Help us to strive all the more for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.